Psalm 139, I descend into the depths of hell, you are there. Do you ever feel forsaken by God? And you start to remember that verse, like, wait, no, no, no. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then you can say, Lord, your word tells me that you'll never leave me nor forsake you. But Lord, I feel forsaken right now. I feel like you're not here. Where are you, God? But I know your word says that you are here. So Lord, although I can't see you, I trust you because I know you're here with me right now. You're in a low place, discouraged and beaten down, not knowing if God's really there. You wonder if he cares or will answer. Others have wondered that too. In fact, David felt that way plenty of times. But as you fight against those moments, Pastor Daniel helps you realize today that the best place to go is to Scripture. It will infuse you with the strength to get through the things you're wrestling with and will speak truth to your soul. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 9 as he continues his message called, Remember. We need to be able to say, Lord, I am stubborn. I am stiff-necked. I am rebellious. I'm rebellious here and here. And Lord, you're telling me to be this way and I'm being this way. You tell me not to judge. I judge everyone. You're telling me not to be proud. And I'm totally proud. You say, don't be greedy. I'm super greedy. You say, don't covet. I covet everybody else's stuff. And you go down the whole list and you, and you confess them all to the Lord. And the Lord's like, yep, I know that about you. And I still sent Jesus to die for you. That's why I sent him. And I still filled you with my Holy Spirit. And I want to do a brand new work. So thank you for acknowledging it. Now we can move on. And he invites us to respond to him. And I believe that there's some of you right now, you're so used to being rebellious and stubborn that you can't remember what it's like to just say, God, I'm so sorry for being rebellious and stubborn. Can you change me? Because you know what happens when you do that? The Lord's like, yeah, that's what this is all about. See, God's plan is to transform us. See, God's plan is to take us from where we are and to change us to make us more and more like Jesus that we might be a blessing in the world. But you can't be God's blessing when you're stubborn. You can't be God's blessing when you're rebellious because God's plans are the right way. And when we're rebelling, we're rebelling against God's authority in our own life. And we're rebelling against the opportunity to be the blessing God created us to be in Christ. So he says, you're a stiff-necked people, and then he starts to go through some of their areas, some of their highlights, their blooper reels, so to speak. Look what it says in verse 7. It says, remember, don't you love that? Aren't you grateful this is the children of Israel's story and not mine or yours right now? Remember, he says, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, when I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone, verse 10, written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words of the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. 
Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here. For your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molded image. Verse 13. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain. The mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets, and I threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes, and I fell down before the Lord. As at the first 40 days and 40 nights, because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure, which with the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and I burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. Now, if you recall, this is the account of the golden calf, which you find in Exodus chapter 32, right? If you remember Moses, and he recounts it all for him. He goes up 40 days, 40 nights fasting. You know someone else who was up for 40 days and 40 nights fasting? Jesus, yeah, don't miss the parallel. Don't miss the parallel. The children of Israel were in the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights. One gets the law, but the children of Israel are in rebellion and under God's judgment. Jesus, acting as the people of Israel, as the representative of Israel, goes into the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights, although tempted, does not sin, and then begins the ministry of reconciliation that God had. Powerful. Don't ask, not by chance. That all fits together very nicely, very perfectly, because that's the way God ordained it. But not only that, remember, Moses is there. He's waiting. The children of Israel start getting antsy because God is not moving as fast as they want God to move. We don't know what happened to this guy, Moses. And so they decided to make a golden calf. And Aaron, Moses' own brother, the high priest, was involved in this. And when Moses came down, He took those two tablets of stone, which had the 10 words, what we call the 10 commandments on them, right? And he broke them in the people's midst. And he goes back up on the mountain, and God's upset. I mean, they had just, this had all just begun for them. And God was doing a work, and right away, they showed this crazy act of rebellion, completely moving away from what God had asked, into what? They were in idolatry. And listen, in a lot of ways, this is the sin that defines all other sins. That's why in the Ten Commandments, the very first one is, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Every single thing that we do that's called a sin, a mistake, missing the mark, not giving everything into, it's always rooted in that. When you have another God that is before the true and living God. The reason someone steals is because there's something that takes the place of God in their heart that would drive them to take something that's not theirs. The reason a person would murder is because there's something that displaces God as the center place of our hearts. Martin Luther said it this way, the reformer. I don't agree with everything Martin Luther said, but I do agree with this. He said the human heart is a virtual idol factory. 
And the key for you and the key for me is to begin to understand what are my heart idols? What are the things that take the place of the true and living God as the centerpiece of my life that starts to drive why I make the decisions I make? You need to unpack what's in your own heart. And I'm here to tell you, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, your heart's still an idol factory. You could have been walking with Jesus for 30 years. There are still things that pop up and Satan does not let up on all the issues in our own hearts. And so we have to be willing to say, Lord, will you search my heart? Will you know me? Will you reveal to me what my heart idols are so that, Lord, we can dismantle them? We can pull those idols down. We can break them and destroy them. I'm here to tell you, we need to walk circumspectly in this world. And our world, it's amazing the things that begin to displace God. Now, what happens for a lot of people in church, people, when they're coming to Jesus, there's all this stuff. Their life's out of order, and they know it, and they come to Jesus, and they get saved, right? And then God begins to work out some of these things, the real observable ones, the ones that if someone were to follow you around for a day, be like, okay, you've got this thing, this thing, this thing, all need work. But then you've been walking with Jesus long enough, and all those big observable things are gone, And then what happens is because the heart is an idol factory, solid Christians begin to make Christianly things the biggest thing. They take good things and they make them the ultimate things and they become destructive things. And so depending on where you are in your journey, there are all sorts of things that are creeping up trying to take that center place in your heart, that throne of your heart. See, the children of Israel, you, you can read, you're like, I can't believe they would do it until you search your own heart. And you're like, I do the same thing. Jesus died and rose again. I'm, the spirit of God dwells in me. And how did I get off base because of money or a relationship or because something's going on in my family and it's completely, and you realize, oh, my family is the centerpiece of my life. No, Jesus is the centerpiece of your life. So you can be a blessing in your family and to your family. I meet people sometimes where something's going on with one of their children and because they're defining themselves by the holiness of their children, they become unraveled. Don't get me wrong, you know, my kids are small, so they're not at the place where they can break my heart yet, you know? And I know that as they get older, it's going to get harder as they make their own decisions. But at the same time, all of us are raising sinners. And we're sinners raising sinners. I mean, talk about a mess, you know? But what ends up happening is, is that if your identity is built on raising perfect kids and you don't have perfect kids, then that whole idolatry system starts to unwind. We don't know what to do. Jesus needs to be the center. Now, what I love about this is Moses actually goes through pretty much the entire story. You can read about it in Exodus 32. It's all there. But what Moses reminds them is that After he broke the two tablets and he went back on up, he interceded for the people. God was angry. God said, I'm just going to destroy them and we'll start over again, Moses. And Moses stood in the gap for the children of Israel. We see Moses as a mediator here. Now listen, I think for a lot of us as believers, we look at the world that we live in, and we kind of just want to be Moses throwing their stones. Like we're just kind of torqued by the world that's what it looks like and the garbage that's going on. And we were just really disgusted, you know? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be disgusted, but I'm saying that we should intercede for the world that we live in. We should stand in the gap. But I think a lot of us just really like being angry because we have anger issues. See, 
God was righteously angry with the decisions of the children of Israel. And if God would have destroyed them, God would have been well within his authority as the judge of all the earth to do it. But God actually wanted Moses to intercede because God would rather redeem than judge. So let me ask you, when was the last time you looked at something that made you angry and you found yourself on your knees praying for redemption? Because that's who Jesus is. Jesus saw you and I all messed up, in rebellion, stiff-necked, going the wrong way, and Jesus gave his life so that we might have life. He didn't say, get it right, and then I'll save you. He said, I'll save you, and then we'll get you right. And I think that one of the greatest needs we have in the world today is for the body of Christ to stop being angry and start being people of prayer. Stop being righteously indignant with sin and start to pray and say, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, let your grace abound in their lives. Start to meet them right where they are in the middle of the junk and change them right from there. Because what's going on is we're so busy being angry that we're not praying. And because we're not praying, we're not even on mission anymore. Because you can't, you can't be a blessing to what you hate. You have to realize that. You can't redeem what you despise. And really, God is the redeemer, but God uses people. You can imagine, imagine Moses. He was living out in the Midian wilderness. You know, he was married. He got thrown out of Egypt when the Lord said, I want to deliver my people. I hate those people. I'm not going to go. You can imagine Jesus, God's redemptive plan. Well, you know, Lord, listen, those humans, our creation, they are messed up. They're jacked. I, I don't want to go. I mean, you go, you know? Jesus was like a bratty teenager. You go, I'm not going. You can go mow the lawn, Dad. Come on, All right? But he went because God would rather redeem than see loss for eternity. That's why it says that prayer is one of the fuels of mission. And I think the problem that we have in this world is that God's heart is breaking for the sin of our culture and our world, but the church's heart isn't. We're just content being angry. And I think we need to change that because Moses interceded for the people. And don't miss the fact that God actually offered Moses. He's like, we'll just wipe him out. We'll start with your seed. It'll be, instead of being the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it'll be the descendants of Moses. I mean, Moses could have, it was a cush gig for him. But Moses interceded for the people, and God did a work, a fresh work. And it's such an important call for us to the ministry of intercession that we seek God and we say, Lord, our world is broken. There's nasty stuff going on in the world today. But Lord, instead of being angry about it, Lord, how can we be your hands and feet to fix it? Lord, you are a redeemer. You redeemed me out of my stuff. How do you want to redeem this group of people or this person out of their thing? And we'll see what God wants to do. So we see all this again. Now, and don't miss in verse 21, the idol, Moses completely destroyed it, annihilated it, and got rid of it. Don't miss that. Because you know what I think we have a tendency to do with the idols of our hearts? We just, we don't want to destroy it. We just kind of don't want it to be the thing that is destroying us. So we 
try and put Jesus back there, but we keep the idol intact so that when we want to go back to it, we can. And that's why, you know, Jesus says some provocative stuff about that. He says that if your right hand causes you to sin, you should chop it off. If your eye causes you to sin, you should pluck it out. Now, he's not saying, like, you're not going to be more righteous if you walk through life with no hands, you know? As I like to say, he's not the God of amputation. But what he is saying is that you got to deal ruthlessly with that stuff. You can't play around with it. If they would have left the golden calf intact, the children of Israel would have gone back to it. But it destroyed it, ground it up to powder, threw it in the brook, couldn't get it back if they tried. It is interesting, though, if you remember when Jeroboam took the 10 northern tribes, he set up a couple golden calves in Samaria so that they didn't go down to Jerusalem to worship anymore. Fascinating. You need to destroy your idols. Don't play with them. Don't pretend like they're really not idols. You need to destroy them. You need to chop those things down, burn them up. Irreparable. You have to do it. Because if not, you're going to go back to it. Talks of the Bible about how a dog returns to his own vomit. It's amazing. Because it's like, this, some people, I was just talking to someone today, like, man, you know, the Bible, it's a whole book. You know, how can you follow it? I'm like, how could you not follow it? Even though this stuff happened thousands of years ago, this stuff is as relevant for right now if you're willing to think about it. So you need to burn your idols down. You destroy them. Whatever they are, you got to get rid of them. Impossible to go back to. So important. Now, in verse 22, he continues on with more accounts of rebellion and intercession. Look what it says. Also at Tabera and Massa and Kibroth. Hata'ava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus, I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights and kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore, I prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or on their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they were your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. Now, in the beginning, he goes through a number of these areas of mistakes. So we find out about Tabera in Numbers chapter 11, obviously Kadesh Barnea, was remember he told them to send the 12 spies in. That was the place where 10 of the spies came back and said, don't go in, we can't take the land. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can, even though these are amazing cities, God's given us the land, so let's trust the Lord. And they chose not to go in where they were condemned to spend 40 years in the wilderness. That happened, of course, in Kadesh Barnea. You find out about Kibroth, Hata'ava. You find out about that in Numbers, also Numbers chapter 11 where, um, remember, they were complaining that they didn't like God's miraculous bread from heaven that they were eating every day, and they wanted quail, and so God sent so much quail, and they were so overcome with lust for meat that they ended up eating it. It was like coming out of their nose, and they were choking on it. 
all these different examples of what had gone on, the Kadesh Barnea happening that was in Numbers 13 and 14. So we've studied all of this already. But notice that in the midst of this, Moses is still interceding for the people. And he tells him, he's like, look, you've been rebellious the entire time that I've known you. Our entire journey, you've been rebellious, but yet I still prayed for you. Yet I still worked for you. I still sought the Lord and I reminded the Lord of what he's done in them. But listen, one of the things I love about Moses as an intercessor is that Moses would pray back to God the things that God had already said. I saw that Moses needed to convince God. God already knew what he was going to do. But one of the best ways that you can pray is when you pray God's word back to him. When you start to tell the Lord, Lord, your word says this, and your word says this, Lord, and you said that you're going to do this. That's why knowing God's word is so important, because when something goes on, you can immediately grab hold of a verse and say, God, your word tells me this. It's like when something goes on that you don't understand. I don't know about you, that's always happening. As I get older, I realize I understand less and less about what's going on. But when you know a verse and something's bewildering and something's going wrong, you can say, Lord, your word says that your thoughts about me are more than the sand on the seashore. And that no matter where I go, God, you are there. Even if Psalm 139, I descend into the depths of hell, you are there. Do you ever feel forsaken by God and you start to remember that verse? You're like, wait, no, no, no. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then you can say, Lord, your word tells me that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. But Lord, I feel forsaken right now. I feel like you're not here. Where are you, God? But I know your word says that you are here. So Lord, although I can't see you, I trust you because I know you're here with me right now. Do you see how God's word transforms everything? And Moses is praying back to God exactly what he's already told him. He's like, look, God, you told us that we're your inheritance. This is your inheritance. So Lord, take care of your inheritance. You said that we're your people, that you redeemed us with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. Lord, because you redeemed us with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand, Lord, will you redeem your people with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand right here and right now from their rebellion? And he said, and oh Lord, and don't forget, We want your witness to remain intact. We don't want the Egyptians to think that you could bring them out of Egypt, but you couldn't bring them into the promised land because, Lord, that would diminish your glory. And all of Moses' intercession for the children of Israel was effective. Now, all the way through, we've been saying that Moses is a picture of Jesus in a lot of ways because it says that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So Moses was a forerunner, a precursor of Jesus, the one who mediated God's covenant to the people and people to the Lord. Jesus is real. The Old and New Testament tie together so perfectly. Today, Pastor Daniel explained how Moses praying and interceding for the people of Israel was an example of what Jesus would do later. Jesus came to intercede for all of mankind, being the go-between for God and humans. It's an interesting connection there. It shows once again the heart of God is to be united with people, not separated by rebellion. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. 
We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will continue on with his teaching in Deuteronomy. The Israelites had just done a wicked thing. So what's God going to do? Just be done with them? Next time, you'll notice what God does. Being a gracious and loving God, he continues on with his people even though they had wronged him greatly. This is the God we serve, a God who's long-suffering. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Refresh. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.